Um, last Sunday, uh, I had a, a couple of interesting musical things happen to me. Um, uh, and that's two more than happens on a normal day. Uh, on Sunday evening, I got together with some friends and we had a, a good old fashioned hymn sing where we sang some of the moldy oldies from, uh, uh, you know, the, the wheel fell off of the cart and now we're upset, so let's start a church uh, from, the, from, the 18, from the 1850s and the 1860s. Uh, and it was a wonderful, wonderful time. It, 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 was, it was great. Um, uh, it, there, I, I do like it that Randy mixes in some of the moldy oldies every now and again, but uh, there is just something to, uh, uh, to singing those and singing out of a book uh, instead of, as Brother Preacher says, instead of singing off the wall. Um, uh, now, I, I'm, a, I, I'm a songs of the church person, not a songs of faith and praise person. If there's no 728B in the book, I'm not interested in what's there. <clears throat> um, but uh, uh, so, so it was, it was a great time. And then I go home that evening and I go for a jog, which was really a walk, but it makes me feel better to say that I went for a jog. Um, I, I'm working up here now. Um, and uh, I went for a jog and, and on, my, uh, on, on my phone, I've got lots of different music and I just put it on shuffle. And the first song that played, uh, there, there's a mixture of all, all kinds of things uh, on there. Um, uh, but the first song that played was the song Oceans. Um, when oceans rise, my soul will lie. Um, my soul will rest in your embrace. Um, and I started laughing because I was like, how am I going to talk about climate change and rising oceans in church? Oh, I can sing that song. And I'm pretty sure that's not what that song's about. I'm pretty sure that's not what it's about. Uh, it, it might be, and if it is, then that's really weird, actually. Um, but, but then I started thinking about some of the other songs that we sing, the contemporary songs that we sing, some of the off-the-wall songs that we sing. And, and it struck me, and, and I wish I had, uh, I think this will just be a, another class that we do in a couple of weeks, um, but it really struck me as interesting that it seems like many of the, the new songs that we sing today are about uh, uh, God you are my refuge God you are my shelter in the time of storm uh, uh, things are really 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 bad it is stormy outside uh, and and God you are my refuge there's nothing wrong with that sentiment nothing wrong with that sentiment but what struck me as interesting was the contrast between the songs that we sang from the 1850s and the 1860s that were about heavenly sunlight and that we're about, uh, this is my father's world. Um, and, and almost all of the songs that we sang, and, and, and I don't think we did it on purpose, but they were all, uh, uh, you could put them up, the, the, put them up against the, uh, the, the hippie freakiest songs out today, folk songs, of, of this is a beautiful creation, this is a beautiful world. God, you show your beauty through your creation. And the irony is, is that the people who wrote those songs were truly at the mercy of the nature that they were saying is so beautiful. And, and while we haven't conquered uh, nature by any stretch of the imagination, uh, we don't really deal with the same things that the people on the, uh, uh, in, in the 1850s and 60s dealt with uh, as far as nature goes. Um, 
anyway, I just thought that was interesting. <clears throat> some cool pictures of creation. Yeah, some of you know what this is, right? Uh, Kenya, Kenyan authorities this week uh, burned 7,000 tons of elephant tusks. 7,000 tons of elephant tusks. Uh, there were some rhino horns in there as well. And in the strange free market world that we live in, there was actually some discussion about whether it would be better to take that and push it out into the market to depress prices so that killing more uh, elephants and rhinoceroses uh, was, was less appealing. Um, uh, it, that's, that's not humanity at its best right there. Um, I was thinking about a book that I read many years ago called Cry the Beloved Country uh, that, it, that pretty much has, just has quote after quote after quote about it. The beloved country in the book is South Africa, uh, but uh, the, the, one of the characters uh, in there says, the tragedy is not that things are broken, the tragedy is that things are not mended again. I think that applies to uh, countries, and I think that applies to people, and I think that applies to planets as well. Other cool quote, how about this one? 1989, Assistant Secretary of State to George Bush Sr. says, global climate change is the most far-reaching environmental issue of our time, uh, warned Assistant Secretary of State uh, Richard Smith in 1989. So of our time now was 27 years ago. Jennifer Thompson is not in here, so I can talk about her behind her back. Uh, she sent me some pictures of a trip that she took to Glacier National Park, a beautiful, beautiful place that I've never been to, but one of my favorite places that I've never been to. Um, uh, and they have, a, they have a lot of discussion there about, uh, we've been looking at these glaciers for a century now, and there is some difference. And you know, part of the problem when we're talking about things like this is that we, we truly use as a euphemism, things moving slowly, we say that things are moving at a glacier's pace, right? Well, things move slowly. Uh, for, for, a, for a planet as old as ours, it, uh, it doesn't get around very quickly. Um, but, and I know you can't see, but this is one of the flyers that they put, where you have a, a picture from 1904 uh, with a glacier that extends from the top of the mountain all the way down to the valley, and then in 2003, 99 years later, um, it's, it's retreated all the way back up to the mountain. They have signs up. This is where the glacier was in 1992. Uh, that's where it was now. Uh, it's, it's, it is changing as they go. Uh, but, but creation is not just uh, elephants and mountains. Uh, you know what, Reed, do you know what that is? <laughs> I'm picking on you. I don't know what that is. This is a brain cell. But the fact that you said something on makes me think that it's related to a neuron or, I don't know, exon. Um, <clears throat> it's a brain cell. Uh, and and I, I, I will contend that, uh, the, that the most beautiful thing that's ever been created is, is this. Um, uh, and the most horrible thing that's ever been created comes out of these as well. Um, but it is, it is creation nonetheless. But if we're going to take care of the earth, we need to take care of our brains as well. Here's a stat that, that 
I just can't believe people don't, it's not front page news all the time. 1974, EPA said, you know what, we're seeing lead levels collecting in people. Maybe that's a bad thing. Uh, and so they started phasing out lead in gasoline. Uh, at the time, 5,000 Americans died a year from uh, heart disease related to lead poisoning. Since they did that, the average level of lead in the blood of Americans has decreased by more than 75%. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Uh, Flint, Michigan, deservedly so, is getting lots and lots of attention today. Um, but uh, you know, keeping toxics out of our bodies and out of our brains uh, uh, is, uh, uh, is, a, is a good thing. We, we need to take care we need to take care of glaciers, but we need to take care of these as well. Taking care of one without the other doesn't really help. It was a stormy week in different parts of the uh, in different parts of the U.S. Uh, if if the Weather Channel has uh, storm chasers on, uh, it's pretty much uh, everything stops at our house, um, and uh, I pop a bowl of popcorn and I'll just sit there and watch, and uh, and m my kids are ashamed of me um, but just some just some uh, beautiful pictures of of some uh, uh, beautiful things beautiful clouds not so beautiful if you're underneath them this is a pretty picture um, I, I can have a discussion with people about the dangers of open open mining and and how it's not uh, perhaps the best thing for uh, for our planet, but I have to say, I, 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 just like I'm a geek when it turns when there's uh, tornadoes on TV, if there's a if we're going down the road and there's a big road cut and there's uh, and you see you know stripes of different bedrock in there, um, I, I'm always trying to figure out what they are um, and 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 why they're there, why they got laid down that way. Yeah, uh, I, I I know it's it's sad a little bit. These are uh, actual coal seams uh, in, uh, in white bedrock uh, up in, I believe this mine is up in Alaska. Um, I, say, I say that because I'm going to, uh, uh, coal's not going to fare very well today, um, but it is in its own way uh, beautiful. Uh, in its own way it's, it's, it, it is beautiful. And it's part of creation, so let's not, well, let's go easy on it a little bit. Ralph Waldo Emerson, we learned geology the morning after the earthquake. Not to be outdone, his, his other uh, upbeat buddy, Henry David Thoreau, <laughs> as in geology, so in social institutions, we may discover that the causes of all past changes in the present, in, uh, all past changes in the present in variable order of society. Colin Powell. I happen to hold a Bachelor of Science degree in Geology, and my greatest contribution to the field of science is that I never entered it. <laughs> I thought that was funny. I thought that was funny. Um, so I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to zip through a, a few, uh, few sciencey things over the next few minutes. Uh, I'm going to try to get through the Industrial Revolution in 90 seconds. Um, so there's going to be lots of blanks to fill in. Sorry. Speaking of geology, England, they wanted coal. They were starting to industrialize in the 1700s. They needed coal. Uh, they had these new things called steam engines. 
and new factories that they were building. So let's go find coal. It was in their best interest to not just happen upon it, but it was more efficient. And they started drawing maps of we go through these layers and then we hit coal. And you know what, 50 miles away, we go through the same layers and then we hit coal there too. But it's 50 feet deep here, but 100 feet deep there. But it's still the same layers. So you know what, there's something going on underground. We can draw some maps and then all of a sudden the field of geology has been, has been born. And they were very efficient at it. Uh, and so efficient uh, that they started building all kinds of factories uh, in, in England and, and elsewhere. But this is the birthplace of the Industrial Revolution. Uh, well, you get a bunch of factories, you can start feeding people because you can buy food, uh, but it takes labor to keep the factories running and to keep the coal being shoveled into the boilers that keeps the factories running. And so you wind up with all kinds of uh, uh, sad situations uh, about people working, you know, kids 11, 12 years old working uh, uh, 16 hours a day uh, just, to keep, just to keep the fires going in the factories. And then you wind up with Charles Dickens writing, uh, writing things like A Tale of Two Cities about it being the best of times and about it being the worst of times. And you get him writing A Christmas Carol, which wasn't intended to be a Christmas story. It was intended to talk about the plight of these kids right here. And you remember Tiny Tim was Tiny Tim, but he suffered from asthma. Uh, he, he was always coughing and hacking. Uh, and that's because he was breathing the air that, that Dick Van Dyke was sweeping out of chimneys <coughs> in, uh, uh, in, in London back in the, during the Industrial Revolution. Chim chimney, chim chimney. If you listen to the words, uh, it doesn't come across as, uh, uh, as very uh, uh, clean, actually. I choose me bristles with pride, yes I do, a broom for the shaft and a brush for the flue. Up where the smoke is all billard and curled between pavement and stars is the chimney sweep world. Where there's hardly no day nor hardly no night, there's things half in shadow and halfway in light on the rooftops of London. Cool, what a sight. Um, you, get, you get people realizing that uh, there, is a, uh, there is a downside to uh, the Industrial Revolution, which I will say we have benefited from. And if we want to have a discussion about the dangers of industrialization, and the dangers of corporations, I'm going to get on my iPhone right now and talk about that, right? So flashing forward, point being, England made lots of steel. England made, England was an industrial giant, is still the fourth largest economy in the world. In the last two years, China has produced as much steel as England since 1870. The world has changed uh, while we weren't looking. The world has changed while we weren't looking. In two years, China has produced as much steel as England since 1870. Um, <clears throat> that, has, uh, that has lots of ramifications to politicians talking about jobs going overseas and has ramifications to uh, the air that we breathe as well. While nobody was looking, the price of steel here in the United States has fallen by about half in the past two years. Right about the time 
that China started, uh, started building all of their plants. While we weren't looking, coal demand in the world is the red line. Coal demand in China all by itself has passed the rest of the planet. Because they've got to, they, they are doing what England did in the 1800s. They are building infrastructure, they're building cities, but they're not building the support uh, to, uh, to keep them clean. And, and I'm not just dumping on China. I, I'm, I'm not just dumping on China. I'm telling you, in five years, we're going to say the same thing about India. Um, and a hundred years ago, we could say the same thing about the United States. So I'm not, I'm not just dumping on any particular group. I'm just saying there is something about the human condition that, uh, that perhaps we need to take a step back and say, is progress exactly what we think that it is? <clears throat> and the world's changing. It's still changing. And it's going to keep changing. There's not just an, the, the Industrial Revolution is wrapping up. I think it's in its final stages as it's spread to the rest of the world now. I was reading an interesting article this week. Uh, they were talking about uh, where does national wealth come from? And uh, it's no longer directly related to the resources that you have but it's related to the social infrastructure that allows people to realize their intellectual and creative potential. It's for this reason that Exxon, Big Bad Exxon, is not, it was once the world's largest company. It's now been overtaken by Apple and by Google, companies that, that uh, are more of ideas than they are of, of factories. So there's a cartoon about uh, Apple. I know we can't afford it, but the serpent is convincing, and you know I can't resist apples. <laughs> And there's Bart Simpson. I will use Google before asking dumb questions. <laughs> Apple and Google are, uh, uh, when, when, when we're writing, that Apple and Google are no different than the, uh, than the Cornelius Vanderbilts and the JP Morgans of the, of the world back 100, 150 years ago. <clears throat> Except they possibly don't build as uh, much steel. Okay. So the revolution that we have is of ideas right now, and, and uh, a lot of the ideas are a couple of thousand years old, and this is where we as Christians can start speaking into them a little bit. Um, it's where we can start speaking into it. Another book that I read <coughs> that's really interesting is called The Jungle by Upton Sinclair. He wrote the book uh, about the meatpacking industry uh, in Chicago back around the early 1900s. I think he wrote it in 1906, but maybe it was said a few years before that. The result of that book was we wound up with the, with the Food, and Food and Drug Administration, uh, lots of regulation about uh, food handling, and uh, you know, generally good things. We don't really worry when we buy stuff. And, uh, and when there is a, uh, uh, a, an outbreak of food poisoning, you know, you get companies like Chipotle that just shut, uh, shut their doors and they disinfect everything for a, for a few days. It's, it's, it's news, and that's, that's good. That's a good thing. The weird thing is, is that that was not his intention at all. That was not his intention. He was trying to show the plight of the immigrant. He was trying to show the plight of the what we would call the minimum wage laborer working in horrific conditions in a factory where people <coughs> are uh, 
are valued less than the equipment that they are working on. And he, he had a quote, uh, he had a quote that w went something to the effect of, I was aiming at the nation's heart, but I hit the nation's stomach. I was aiming at the nation's heart, but I hit the nation's stomach. And, and <clears throat> when we as Christians are talking about issues about the environment and issues about creation, I think we need to be careful about where we are aiming. I think we need to be careful about where we're aiming because we are people who aim at the heart. We are people that aim at the heart. That's, that's the language that we speak. And, and there is much, if you want to call it the environmental movement, if you want to call it environmental awareness, there's much of that that has been led by people aiming at the mind. All right, the best example, I think, is Al Gore, um, which, say what you want, um, uh, not the most exciting guy, okay? <laughs> not the most exciting guy. And, and I, don't, I don't think he's done a bad job of aiming at the mind. Uh, lots of people around the world thinks he's done, think he's done a good job of aiming at the mind. He won a Nobel Peace Prize for aiming at the mind of people. Um, but I, I believe when I believe that, that, that things the conversation needs to include aiming at the heart as well, because when you're aiming at the mind, uh, uh, you're only going to have some <laughs> you're only going to wind up making people feel guilty when you're aiming at the mind, and when you're aiming at the heart, I think that you can make people change behavior. <clears throat> And, and we worship a guy who aimed at the heart. He aimed at the heart. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. It's okay to love the Lord your God with your mind. Okay? It's okay to love the Lord your God with all your, with all your mind. Uh, and also, love your neighbor as yourself. By the way, your neighbor may not be the person living next door to you. Your neighbor may be... Uh, somebody that you that that you hate, that that doesn't get along with you. They may be those awful Samaritans. They may be your neighbor, and you know what? It may be somebody that you've never even met. Your neighbor may be somebody that you'll never meet. Your neighbor may be somebody who hasn't even been born yet. But love your neighbor. I'm redefining. I'm redefining what what love your neighbor as yourself means. It doesn't mean love the person next door to you, although that's handy when you need to borrow power tools. Uh, <clears throat> you know what? Let's not just be nice to people that we have something to benefit from. Let's be nice to the least of these. Let's be nice to the least of these. Let's love the people uh, who aren't in positions of power and let's love the people who are in power and pray for them. But a soul is a soul is a soul. And there are 100 million Bangladeshis living three feet above sea level right now. Okay? And I don't think we're given the option of, of not loving them. Uh, but we all matter. And so I'm going to tell you parables about a lost sheep and, and going and finding him. Or a lost coin and going and finding that lost coin. And you know what? The most important thing is God so loved the world, not just the people in the world, but God so loved the entire world that he gave me 
his son. <clears throat> so listen to me. That we'll have eternal life. That we won't perish. I've got a father who doesn't want us to perish. I've got a father who doesn't want us to perish. <clears throat> so, here's where I get in trouble. <clears throat> Anybody want to tackle this one? What are, when I say global climate change, inside of a church building, no less. What, what, are, what are, maybe not your reactions, so don't tip your hand, um, but, but what are reactions, pro, con, indifferent, to, to, to just that, that phrase, those three words right there? There's no such thing. It's all a hoax. Um, I've, I've been told God's in control of, of the planet, and so we shouldn't really worry about it. Do you think God could adjust the thermostat <laughs> over there? Because <laughs> it's all going to burn up anyway. It's all going to burn up anyway. Somebody told me that a few weeks ago. I was like, that's a wonderful sentiment. <laughs> Do you have marshmallows? <laughs> yeah, okay. To be fair, to be fair, th those are all the skeptical denial, denialist reactions, right? And, and what I don't want to do is to leave here today with the impression of anybody who holds those views is just a backwoods buffoon, okay? That's, that's not helpful, and it's not true either. Because I, I will say, I find it very, very difficult to believe that the Apostle Paul had a very firm view on global climate change. I doubt very seriously that Mother Teresa spent a lot of time worrying about that. I don't know what her views were on the issue, but I know that she was concerned about the least of these. I know that the Apostle Paul was concerned about go ye into all the world. And, and really, what we as Christians are helping people equip with when we're at our best is not global climate change, it's global change. You take that word out, you can't really cover it up with a projector, can I? I didn't think that one all the way through. <clears throat> but you take that word out and, uh, and, and it reads different. Because we as Christians, we're these people. We're go ye into all the world. And we as Christians, we are, things are going to change. There's only one thing that doesn't change, and that's God our Father. So let's do what we can to try to deal with change, right? So let's, for a, let's, let's assume for a moment that all the science is wrong, to be skeptical. Uh, does that change anything about what we do? For the next 50 years, the, is, our, is our party platform, if it's all wrong, does that change, what, what would that change about what we do? We could give more money to disaster relief, right? Regardless of whether those disasters are being increased by, uh, by uh, monkeying with the, with the climate, right? Yeah, yeah, we could, we could address more immediate needs. Um, I, there, there is an appeal to that, yeah. And not just, not just disaster relief, but the Wayne Reed Center, right? To, uh, to, to living water, to made in the streets. Um, we, we could focus our efforts on, on those sorts of things. Does that, would it change other things about what we sing, what we pray? I saw a couple of nodding heads. Don't make me call on somebody. All right, I'll leave you alone. 
But if we assume for a moment that all science is correct, does that change anything about what we do? Right, so LA. LA. LA is Lower Alabama. Yeah, not Lower Antioch, not Lower uh, Los Angeles. It was known so so smoggy, so horrible. They cleaned that up quite a bit. Yeah, right? yep. So all because people just volunteered to do it. No. No. <laughs> not at all. No. No. But, you know, so when we had the Beijing, uh, I guess it was the Olympics, yep. and it was super smoggy, and they were like, come on, guys. Right, so even if the science isn't true, isn't LA a better place? Like, and you didn't need to do it for global reasons. It's a better place because you're not breathing that nasty smog, right? So I don't know that it. You still want to recycle, right? You still want to do so many things. Cause I don't want, you know, landfill in my backyard, and eventually you know, we're going to run out of places to put all that junk, right? So right. let's keep it as minimal as possible. And on and on. I'm like, I don't know that it does change because so much of it makes so much sense. So, so much of it makes so much sense. That that's true. I think with with climate change, like. like it's an easy sell to say, breathe clean air, right? Particulate matter, smog, people wearing face masks. That's just, that's bad PR, right? It doesn't make you want to go there. The fact that China had to shut down factories during the Olympics so people could breathe should be a national embarrassment. And all they've done since 2008 is build more factories, right? Yeah. It was unreal, and yet the uh, our Chinese host said uh, the government is doing many, many things to clean up the air, as you can tell. It's right. Like the standard line, and we're going. Boy, I would I hate to have seen it, you know, a year ago. Yeah, and and since that time, you haven't had a coherent thought. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're going on eight years. I mean, look. I think, I think they end up shutting down cars for you know, like regulating car drop, you know, usage of cars and things like that. Maybe. Yeah. Dave? I think one of the issues, is whether you're Christian or not, is <clears throat> our lack of motivation to do things for those who come after us, even if it's our own children. I was listening to a psychologist this week who was talking about people's motivation to change based on uh, what they hear about, change their behavior based on what they hear about global global climate and this person was saying it's kind of like if you're in traffic jam and you're stuck and you're on the highway and everybody's going real slow and then you come upon and you see that there was a mattress left in the middle lane and so everybody's kind of going around it and then they speed up he said none of those people are motivated to pull over and help do something to get the mattress out of the way because you're past it now and you just want to go on and, and you're not worried about the people behind us. So similarly, a lot of times, you know, I'm just trying to deal with my own life and, and everything that's going on about me. It's more convenient to drive my car. I don't care what it, you know, how it's going to affect someone else. So I think that there's, that there's a fundamental issue with just the way we live and our motivation to help those who may come after us. Yeah, yeah. Some of, the, some of it is our tradition too in Church of Christ. We traditionally do not have a high um, uh, level of policy engagement. Our preachers don't tell us who to vote for. Um, and I, I, I think that's a great thing. Yeah, I don't think, yeah. And, and I think that's a really good thing. It's one of the reasons I love Jesus Christ. But that does make it challenging for us to address collectively issues 
their sins in the world that are not the result of any one person's action. We as uh, evangelicals in general are better at addressing uh, individual sin. There's a lot of personal responsibility, personal salvation, etc. But um, but this is it's so diffuse. It's so uh, um, you know every the, the easiest questions to ask and to answer are what can I do, and the harder ones are what can we do collectively. Um, how can we? Uh, what kind of change can we address as a Unit. Yeah. Um, and and these, these solutions are, by and large, policy and collective solutions. Uh, personal behavior change is important, but um, uh, but we see, you know, but that's not gonna that's not gonna fix small No, we, we we put we put warning labels on packets of cigarettes for many many years up, and they got to the point where the warning labels were saying, "We hope you get cancer from this," right? <laughs> But then when all of a sudden a pack of cigarettes was five bucks, the, can't, the, the smoking rates have come down. I don't like that. I mean, I like the fact that smoking rates have come down. I don't like the fact that we can, that, that I'm not comfortable saying, well, let's control this by putting in a tax to, let's put it, let, let's control this by having a government entity to. So, but I agree with everything that you said you know, I, I agree with everything that you said, and it's 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 hard to get it's hard to change 7.3 billion hearts. And it's hard to change. Uh, it's hard to change that. John, this I tend to overgeneralize. <coughs> it's a character flaw. All generalizations are bad. <laughs> I believe uh, <coughs> education of humanity is really one of the basic flaws here. Yeah. How many people can talk about that? Clean Water Act and the lead copper rule and um, things like you do in each of your kids. Maybe the STEM kids coming along, maybe we'll have a little better chance at it. That's a few people in good schools that uh, I think that some in poor schools and poor education. I, I couldn't agree more, and I think with, with Christians. With, when we talked about the reactions to uh, the term global climate change, it is just simply not helpful to say it's all a hoax. It's not helpful to say uh, it, it's all a conspiracy. It's much more helpful to just even crack the door and say, I, I might be open. To, it, it's, it's in the world of possibility. You know, this affects the planet. Maybe I should find out a little bit more about it, you know. If this affects my neighbor, maybe I should find out a little bit more about it. Dixie? So hold that, hold that thought for a second. Because what we do matters. 
I mean, if, if, if we as Christians can say anything, we can say, what we do matters. God, our Father, loves me as an individual. The things that I do, the things in my heart, the things in my home, the things that I say, the things that I sing, that matters. What we do matters. What we do matters when we give money into collection plate. <coughs> if, if, if each of us didn't give our, if I didn't give our collection, I prom, uh, what, what, what we give each week, I promise nobody would ever notice, okay? Nobody would ever notice. <coughs> We're not in the correct tax bracket for that. But it matters what we do. It matters in a sea of Otter Creek, uh, if we're a dog. I don't know. I just thought that was a funny picture. It was otters. It matters. It matters when you're on the shores of Lake Victoria <coughs> and you're working on a school and, and you're trying to convince them to invest a little bit more money of putting in a sewage system <coughs> where you say, it's only a few thousand dollars more and they say, yes, but everybody else surrounding Lake Victoria is pooping in Lake Victoria. And you have to look them in the face and say, it still matters what we do. It still matters what we do. And this ministry wound up spending some extra money uh, to put in a sewage collection system that, uh, uh, that is as good as uh, what we have at our house. Um, <clears throat> So more power to them. That's something that I've thought about with living water. We should get into more sanitation, but calling it living sewer just doesn't seem to have a... <clears throat> it's not, we, we haven't raised a whole lot of money that way. But it matters. It matters. Even though, even though there's 30, 30 million people who live on the shores of Lake Victoria, it matters what those 200 kids are doing with, with, their, with their toilet habits. What we do matters. What I do is important because what we do is important. Okay, what I do is important because what we do is important. Bob, what do you do that's important? And what's the name of that book again? Imagine Heaven. Imagine heaven. <clears throat> imagine heaven. Imagine heaven. Uh, imagine people in heaven saying, what you do is important because what all y'all are doing is important. That is important 
right there because that's important right there. So in the whole scheme of things, he's just annoying, right? Or she is annoying, and you don't really want to be behind them, but you're not talking about global catastrophe here. You're not talking about mass drought, starvation, die-off, uh, raising temperatures in the world from that. But when you see tens of millions of people doing it all in the same valley, it, you start to buy it a little bit. What I do matters because what we do is important. This is a picture of a school in Guatemala. Uh, that's, the school is in the background. That's the latrine. The pipes from the school come out and then straight into the river. That's what they do. That's what they do. Um, uh, in many cases, you, obviously you would never drink that water knowing that that's the case. What I do is important because what we do is important. This past week in Memphis, 50 million gallons of sewage goes into Cypress Creek because a, a sewer main broke. Uh, so they had to close a marina. Uh, they had to put up signs. Uh, they, you know, they, they did the right thing. Memphis is in the middle of, of having to spend hundreds of millions of dollars to rebuild their sewer system because what I do is important uh, because what we do is important. Starting on the what we do is important, uh, and then we're going to have to go. Uh, next week's going to be a lot of fun. Um, what we do is important with cutting down the uh, <clears throat> cutting down the forest. Um, I know we want to say that we cut down the forest uh, because it's big industry doing that. Let's face it, Dunder Mifflin Paper Company is out of business now. We don't cut down the forest for paper anymore. We cut down the forest so that John Candy in the great outdoors can eat a 72 ounce steak. Right? That's, if you want to know why, was it 96? I'm sorry, I wasn't prepared. Yeah. Yeah, he ate the old 96, that's right. Sorry. Here, here's a graph, and then next week is going to be very, very graphic um, with icky graphs. Deforestation drivers in Latin America, 65% is due to ranching and pasture. It's not due to uh, big corporate uh, weasels uh, trying to destroy the earth. It's for people like me and people like you trying to enjoy a steak. From logging, agricultural production, and other economic activities, deforestation adds more atmospheric carbon dioxide than the sum total of cars and trucks on the world's roads. So next time, if any of you leave here feeling guilty for driving an SUV, just forego your steak at lunch and we'll call it a wash. <laughs> A third pound burger requires 660 gallons of water to make, by the way. Um, so what we do matters, even if we're just one of 7.3 billion. Um, we probably need to go, uh, but I need to put a bow on this somehow today. Um, I think that when we, when we read the story of what Jesus was trying to convey to us, I do think, I, that, um, that when we look at the big numbers of the people that are on this planet right now, we have, <clears throat> we have become the most dangerous predator on the planet. There's nothing more dangerous on the planet than we are. And, uh, and that, I'm, I'm not sure that has always been the case. 
But I think that <clears throat> if we as Christians can speak into this, saying, hey, feel guilty about driving an SUV is not helpful, but, but telling people it matters to the least of these, telling people that it matters what happens to people that we've never met. Um, when we're talking about numbers that big, especially when you have a God who says, one of those 7.3 is the most important thing to me. And each one of us is the most important thing to him. Uh, and so next week we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, the, the concept of problems that are collective in nature. Um, that, that, uh, that every time we exhale, we exhale carbon dioxide. Therefore, every time we exhale, we're all sinning. That's, and you can argue yourself into that spot. And, and I don't, that obviously, that I, don't, I don't think we can milk that out of the Bible anyway. As a matter of fact, I, can, uh, I think I can show you the exact opposite of that. Thanks for coming today, and I'll see you next week.